Hi, everyone. This is Cynthia Joy here with Rick Flint, and I'm all the way coming from Singapore. Stay tuned. You're listening to Rick Flint. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. And now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. We have a great show coming into us tonight live from Singapore. We have a speech expert on our hands, and boy, am I dying to speak with her because, as a lot of you may already know, I taught speech in the evening college and even actually managed to teach a day course or two for seven years, and I absolutely loved it. Her name is Cynthia Jai. She's coming into us from Singapore. Come on in, Cynthia, and say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much, Rick, for the introduction. I'm very happy to be here. Excellent. It's a pleasure to have you, Cynthia. How long, Cynthia, <laughs> have you lived in Singapore? Your whole life? I've lived here for almost 15 years. Weren't you staying in San Francisco for a while? Yes. Which of the two do you prefer? <laughs> so each has its own charm. I prefer both of them. All right. So you're kind of making your way between the United States and Singapore. Yeah, you for the pandemic. For the pandemic. So you're home right now specifically because of the yeah. pandemic? Yes, that's right. Traveling was not easy uh, during the pandemic. Oh, I can believe that. Well, Cynthia, how in the world did you get interested in public speaking? Ah, so uh, for me, I specifically focus on the voice part in public speaking. And for the voice part, it is really the saying that we teach what we needed to learn the most. And I needed to learn the most about voice when I graduated almost two decades ago. So at the time, I wasn't having a very powerful voice, very confident voice, also not very assertive. So I was seeking different ways to be more assertive. And voice was one of the ways that I chanced upon. And when I developed my voice, I realized, wow, not only I sounded more confident, more powerful, but also I felt more powerful. So that planted the seed for me to uh, teach other people to feel the same. When did you discover that your voice needed that attention? Was that in high school or back when you were a student? After I graduated in my very first job after graduation. But even before that, when I was in schools, I was singing. I was performing singing. Still, the singing voice and the speaking voice, they have differences. So even though I had a good singing voice, but speaking voice, I was still not sounding confident, not powerful. So the speaking voice was developed after I graduated in my very first job. Very well. Now, Cynthia, I took speech when I was in what we call over here junior high school. That's 7th, 8th, and ninth mm -hmm. grades. And then I took it again mm -hmm. when I was in high school, which is 10th, 11th, mm -hmm. and 12th. Then I graduated, mm -hmm. and then, of course, I took it again in college. So I've gone to three <laughs> separate levels of schooling with speech being taught yes. to me at all of them. Now, was that the case with you? <laughs> or did you not have speech at school at all? We didn't have 
speech training uh, probably as intensive, as detailed as you have gone through. Uh, we had very short courses teaching us about speaking. That's about it. <laughs> Did you stand up before the class at a lectern or a podium yes. and give a speech? Yes. So the good thing about what I have gone through was that even though we didn't have very intensive uh, training on speech in schools, that I was appointed as class president since pri primary school or elementary school in the States. So since primary one. And uh, I started to stand in front of the group as the class president when I was in seventh grade. So since seventh grade, I had always been standing in front of the group. So fear or nervousness was not a big thing for me. So I had training kind of on the sideline. <laughs> Did How were you selected? I was selected by the teacher because most of the times I was the uh, top two in the class. In academic scores, you were in the top two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Ah, that is excellent. That is very, very good. How long did you remain the class president? Almost every different level that I have gone through, like from primary school to, for us, is secondary school, which is your junior high, high school, and then college, and in my graduate school. So every level I have gone through, I was always the class president. Boy, that is incredible. That is very, very good. And you were in theater in Singapore. Was it musical theater or dramatic or a variety of all kinds of different theatrical production? It was only singing. Oh, it was musical theater. Did you have to memorize a script? Was it in the play, like in the form of what we call over here a musical, where it would be a play that has song incorporated in it? Uh, no, it was more we performed singing for different uh, holidays or different uh, occasions, more oh, like so a choir. It was like a choir, like a music music mm -hmm. uh, display or music presentation. Yes. Here in the United States, we would refer to a musical as being a form of theater. Theater. You understand? Mm, yes. But in Singapore, it, they don't call it that, right? Uh, we do have that, but that was not uh, the group that I was in. I see. Well, we're going to get back to public speaking in just a moment, but could you tell mm -hmm. our audience, Cynthia, what are the primary differences that you see right now in Singapore that are totally and completely different, noticeably at odds with how we live in the United States. Can you tell us some main differences just for the sake of the audience that has never been, including myself, I've never been to Singapore. Can you tell us what we're missing sure. and what's different? <laughs> so the biggest difference is the size, the size of the countries. So uh, Singapore is a city-state, so it's very small. And for that reason, it is very packed. So the uh, density of the population is quite high in the States, especially in uh, not in big cities. You probably don't see a lot of people everywhere. But here in Singapore, we see people almost everywhere. So I would say that's uh, the two biggest differences, the size of the country and the density of the population. Is real estate and living, uh, the cost of living high, or is it relatively small oh, next to the USA? It is quite high. So I think in some rankings, Singapore has always been ranked number one, the most expensive place to live, even though I disagree. <laughs> At 
some regards that there are some ranking that rank, rank Singapore quite expensive. I heard Tokyo, Japan was out of control, very high. Is that true? That's right. So Tokyo, Singapore, Hong Kong, they are always at least in the top 10. Definitely. Now, have you traveled around the world or just Singapore to the USA? I did. I traveled around. So I speak in different conferences, and that took me to five continents and 18 countries. So that's for work. I've traveled to five continents, 18 countries, but for my own leisure time that I traveled to many other countries as well. Very well. Now, I don't want to know where you work. I definitely want to keep that aspect of your life (laughs) private, but can you put me in the general vicinity? Sure. So there are two areas that I work on. One is that I do coaching, coaching like one-to-one or one-to-a-group. So I coach them on the power of their voices. So for that, I do it virtually. Even back in 2013, I already started to do Skype coaching at the time. So use Skype. And now we are all using Zoom. So that's why last year during the pandemic, it was not a big transition for me at all. So that's for the uh, coaching. I do it virtually in front of my computer. And the other one that I do is speaking. So speaking to a group of audience. And so that uh, before the pandemic, I was doing it face to face to live audiences in different parts of the world. And then since the pandemic, that has changed. So I have been doing virtual speeches also in front of my computer while speaking to audiences in different parts of the world. When did you first receive your very first invitation from a group or organization where they said to you, Cynthia, we'd like you to come and speak and coach our people here? When did that happen? That was... 2010, uh, because 2010, I started to run my own business. Before 2010, I was still employed in a company. So 2010, I started to receive some invitations from different corporations. So you've been at it for 11 years? Yes. That is very good. How do you think as a person who is coaching people to improve the sound of their voice, what is the biggest Mm -hmm. problem that these people you coach have? The biggest problem, if we talk about the surface problem, the surface problem is everyone, almost everyone tells me that they speak fast. So that is the biggest problem. And then the other biggest problem, also on the surface, a little bit deeper, most people are not aware, is that when they're speaking, they're holding their breath and speak. When they hold their breath and speak, this is how they sound. And then all of a sudden, they, they, their voice has all kinds of problems now. And then at the end, because they're holding the breath, they don't have breath anymore, they will end up with vocal fry like what I'm demonstrating right now. So the voice is not supported by the breath anymore. And then they will also feel breathless. So those are the two biggest problems, surface problems that I saw worldwide. And you still deal with that probably every week, don't you, with various students? Yes, yes. That's right. Okay, very, very well. Well, it is an interesting profession that you have there. And over here in America, I know when I taught the subject, Cynthia, we discussed a mental disease, and that disease is called speech anxiety. And that's where people actually can get sick. They can pass out. They can faint. 
They yeah. can hit the floor. That's right. Because they, yeah. it's a mental disorder. At the time I taught in the evening college, Cynthia, <laughs> they said it was the third yeah. largest mental disorder in the country. The first was paranoid mm-hmm. schizophrenia, and that requires a medical doctor. I can't help anybody yes. with paranoid schizophrenia. You need a, a medical doctor <laughs> for that. One that can write scripts, and you have to be a medic, yeah. you know, approved by the medical AMA and be board certified, <laughs> et cetera, to write a script. You have to be an authentic medical doctor. Number two, the second yeah. most important mental disorder was alcoholism, believe that or not. I cannot help anybody with the disease of alcoholism because as the world knows, because I would like them to stop, because you might like them to stop, that means nothing. The patient themselves has to say, I want this to stop, and then they'll stop drinking on their own. So that would be the second medical disorder. And the third medical disorder, of course, is speech anxiety. And I have seen students of mine whose face would go and change colors. I've seen neck and chest areas of their body totally change colors. They go from Mm -hmm. a pale tone to beat, beat, bright red. They're hyperventilating, (laughs) trying to get their breath. It is a serious disorder, Cynthia, when you're up in front of a crowd and you are about (laughs) ready to hit the floor and pass out because of speech anxiety. (laughs) Would you agree? Yeah. I I do. I do agree because I've seen that in many of my clients as well. Some of them, they are saying that, oh, I I have phobia. It's not only uh, for them, it's not only anxiety, but they have phobia. They couldn't even focus. So this is a very, very serious problem for a lot of people. Right. Uh, I think Jerry Scheinfeld, Jerry Scheinfeld, he had a joke. He said, people who are giving the eulogy would rather be in the box. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, if they're not good public speakers, you're right. They would rather be in the box because they cannot catch their breath. They cannot think clearly. I've had people forget where they were born, forget their own middle names, ridiculous things that a normal person would never do. But because they are in Mm -hmm. front of a crowd, they cannot speak Mm -hmm. properly. They don't have the confidence or the experience to do it. Have you seen all that? Yes. Yes, I did. So many of my clients, they will say that, oh, I couldn't remember a thing that I was supposed to say. And some of them, their legs will be shaking. And many of them, their their palms uh, were wet. So it's all kinds of reactions because of this stage anxiety, speech phobia. That is so true. So true. And it's mind over matter. And what I used to do is to have the worst students of that disease in my classes. And I would invite them voluntarily. I wouldn't demand it, but I would invite them to stay after the class. And when the class emptied out and there was nobody left but the teacher and maybe two or three students who stayed over because they said to me, we need the extra help. I have this anxiety. I have the exact disease that you're describing. I'd like help. 
So I'd bring three of them yep. into the class. I'd close the door. There were three people, and all three of them, plus myself, the three students would have that disorder. And the th- two of the three would sit out in the audience while one of them got mm-hmm. up, and I worked with them on their speech. And the one that was giving the speech knew that the two in the audience had the same problems they had. So we worked mm-hmm. it out, and I found out that when the class was empty and I only had two or three students in it, then it was easier mm-hmm. for me to get the student to eliminate partially anyway that speech anxiety. Mm-hmm. It was still a long process. Yes, that's right. So I think uh, it also uh, is similar. Like some of my clients, they said, "Oh, I am okay with one-on-one or even small groups, but I will have anxiety when I'm facing a bigger group." So that's a very common issue. That's and it. And also thumbs up to those. Uh, yeah, thumbs up to those who ask for help from you, because a lot of people they don't even have the courage to uh, to ask for support. Well, I would have a full classroom of students. And I would have uh, two females raise their hand and they'd say, I need help. I have speech anxiety. I'm the exact person you're talking about. I said, I would walk right up to their desk, you know, right there in front of the class. I say, do you believe that I'm here to help you? Or do you believe that I'm here just to lie to you, to cheat, to tell you things that are not true, and I'm not here to help you at all? And they would look at me and say, I believe you're here to help me. I said, good, stand up. And I'd bring them to the front of the class, and I'd say to them, you are not going to give a speech right now. And they'd look at me. And you could see the breath exhale go, oh, I'm so lucky now because I told them you're not going to give a speech now. By telling them they were not going to do it, that eliminated 50% or more of the fear. Do you understand? Yeah. They stood in front of the class where they probably did not want to be, and I was right next to them, and I I would say, now I'm conducting the class, and I'm giving the speech here today to the students, so you don't have to worry. I'll take care of that, but I want you to stand with me a few moments just so you can look at the audience and be comfortable in your own skin, so to speak, and knowing that you're not going to give a speech. You can experience it without the anxiety of saying, oh, what am I going to say next? Oh, I'm going to forget my name. Oh, I'm going to forget what city I live in. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pass out. I'm and you know what? It worked. It helped. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now, what techniques, That's Cynthia, right. have you used to help these serious speech anxiety people? Yeah, I think for I agree with what you said is to work on the mind. Uh, so one of the things that I work with my clients is to shift their mindset, because a lot of times when people are fearful, it's because they are so afraid how people will perceive them. Oh, will they think I'm stupid? Will they think I'm this? Will they think I'm that? Will they? Uh, how will they judge me? Will they laugh at me? What if I forget about this? What if I uh, couldn't remember what I want to say? What if they ask a question that I couldn't answer? So these are all the things uh, running in my client's mind. But there's one commonality in those thoughts 
it is that it is fo- they're all focusing on me, which is、uh, how would they perceive me? What if I forget about something? So we shift from the me to them, which is the audience. So instead of thinking, oh, how would they perceive me? You want to shift your mind to what message do I want them to take away with? And then spend all your attention, all your energy to craft that message, and make sure 100% that the audience will take away exactly the message that you planned. So and that's、uh, how one of the ways I help my clients, which is to shift their focus from me to them, which is the audience. And the audience, Cynthia, is right there, secretly in their hearts. They want that speaker up there to succeed. They're actually. Pulling for them, as we say in America, we want her to do better. We're behind her. We're going to follow her speech、yes. and watch her grow over the week after week after week. Do you find that to be the same in Singapore? That's、uh, in schools,、uh, in classes.、Uh, most of my clients, they are facing business professionals. So I said they they may not have those audiences who are business professionals who are listening to you. They may not have the idea that they want you to succeed, but at least they are there to listen to you to get something of value instead of you wasting their time. I think from that point of view, yes, they want you to succeed so that they can get value out of what you are saying. I wanted to just say. That there's more to it than simply trying to cure speech anxiety in one day. It can't be done. Our semesters in college、no. were six months, and by the time one semester was over, I had cured several cases of it enough to where the students、mm-hmm. actually would come by on another year when they were not even enrolled in the college, and they would come back and say, "Thank you for what you did. It has truly helped me in business. I've got a job." I'm working here. I'm working there. I do speak before my、uh, co-workers, and I remember your class, Rick. And I just wanted to thank you. And that makes me feel very good when they've taken away the lesson and used it in real life. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. Yeah. So there was a client of mine. He was a medical professional. And when he came to me, he had stage phobia, and he said he couldn't even hear the word "present" or "presentation." Just by hearing those words, would already make him have physical reactions. And so we also worked about six months. And then in our working together, he started to、uh, give presentations because in the past, whenever there were opportunities giving presentations, he would either postpone it or let other people do it. So、uh, as we started to、uh, progress, and he started to give presentations, and before we finished working together, he was saying that in my last presentation, I asked my boss, "When is the next presentation?" <laughs> so he was expecting to give the next presentation, and it was a very big progress for him. I was very, I was feeling very fulfilled. To be able to help someone from having stage phobia to having anticipation to give the next presentation—that is a classic example. In what you have just stated, the student heard the word presentation 
And uh-oh, now I got to give a speech. I got to stand up before the crowd. And we would like you, yeah. certain so-and-so, the name of the student, we would like you to present to the class. Uh-oh, just hearing the word made that student get nervous, get mm-hmm. speech anxiety symptoms, start to hyperventilate, breathe deeper and deeper, and fear, fear and more fear. And you have to break yeah. it. And that took me six months to do, but here is a good place to start. And if anybody out there is listening and knows what it is I'm talking about, because you don't have to be in a university or a college to experience this. There are students in high school, junior high school, that are experiencing this, and there are people who have long since graduated that are in business, and they have to stand up before their co-workers. And there could be a hundred of them. There could be two or three hundred of them, and they have to stand up and give a speech on what their department did, what they are planning on doing in the future, how best that the company could learn from the mistakes that everyone has made and discovered. Whatever the company desires the workers to report on or give a presentation on is something which can bring out speech anxiety. And here's what I tell them. I said, when you stand up there in front of that group, I want you to think that you're not in an auditorium, that you're not in the cafeteria or the multi-purpose room, wherever it is they have meetings where they bring all the the workers in and the audience to hear. I want you to imagine Mm -hmm. that you're at your home and you've just ordered pizza or something. And okay, everybody, we're going to eat some pizza now. The pizza's here. Everybody grab some food. We have some drinks out there, some soda pop or water or whatever we're serving. Go grab some. And if you were in your home and saying that, there would be no speech anxiety at all, would there? They say, oh, no, 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 there would not. I could tell them that there's pizza we just got delivered with no problem. I said, well, you put your whole speech to that company and act like you do when you had pizza delivered at your home and told your friends, well, let's go get some pizza. It's here now. They did that with no speech anxiety. Now, why can't they do that at their company? And they look at me like I'm crazy. But Cynthia, once they get it through their mind, it makes perfect sense. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. So uh, the setting plays a very important part. What would you advise your students to do if they were in need of that immediate confidence? Uh, Do you have any other Mm -hmm. techniques you would use? Yeah, I think uh, it's similar to what you're saying. So I said you are, the presentation is a conversation. It is a conversation. So imagine you are having a conversation with the audience. One of the things that you can imagine you are having the conversation is you are looking into the audience and find those who are having friendly faces. <laughs> those who, that's one thing that they can do. I totally agree. It's mind over matter. Don't let the anxiety take over you. You take over the problem inch by inch, little by little. We solve a big problem by taking little steps and solving the little step, step after step after step until we climb the mountain and we're successful. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's right. So uh, change will not happen uh, all of a sudden. Change 
is happening gradually, little by little. Very, very well. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today, Cynthia Jai. This is the first time in my career that I have actually had a guest live coming in here from Singapore. I am in the United States in the Midwestern USA. She is in Singapore. We're hooked up electronically. Cynthia is a speech expert. She works with clients. She works with groups. She works with people who wish to correct their speech problems. She is a certified TEDx speaker, and we're going to stop right there. What is TEDx, Cynthia, and how did you get involved with that? First of all, I am very privileged to be the first guest coming from Singapore on your show. TEDx is a platform, so uh, people may be familiar with TED, T-E-D, uh, so it's a platform for for people to give very powerful speeches. Plus an X, TEDx, it is separately organized by people from all over the world. Also, it's a platform for speeches, especially speeches regarded uh, that's related to technology, education, and D, I couldn't remember what D represents, probably design. <laughs> so it's a technology, education, maybe design needs to be verified. So people who give speeches are on TED or TEDx stages are bringing very different, very fresh ideas into the platform, into the world. So I was giving a speech on the power of the human voice. So for that TEDx platform, uh, which was based in Silicon Valley, so I gave that speech two years ago. And uh, luckily, that platform, they considered my idea as something with fresh perspective. Well, I've heard it said that people, even the experienced people, will get a little tiny bit of anxiety knowing that they're going to give a speech before A, B, or C audience, wherever it is. And, you know, I've also yeah. heard it said that 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 little tiny bit of anxiety or, uh, oh, how would you say, nervousness maybe, that can work Never. for the, it could work for good. You can convert that little bit to positive energy and even have a better speech and more powerful speech because of that. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. So I think uh, that nervousness, which is just a type of energy, so the energy is perceived either as positive or negative by ourselves. So uh, I perceive that as positive, which actually makes me feel very alert, very uh, serious about the speech that I'm giving, very serious about the audience. So in my entire career, I only heard two people who said that they never get nervous. And uh, the reason, both of them, they told me, oh, I never get nervous because I don't care what they are going to receive. I'm just going to go there and deliver my speech. So I thought, of course, you don't get nervous because you don't care about the audience. If you care about the audience, you will have the normal nervousness. So that's how the normal nervousness helps me. Be really focused, to be alert, to be serious about the audience. I've heard speakers that it's basically the identical speech they're giving wherever they go almost verbatim, word and, for word. And I believe when it's that type of situation, what you have just described 
could be true after they've given that identical speech 50 times before 50 different groups. Do they care about the audience? More than likely not, but they don't have to worry about the speech either. They've given it so many times, they have it totally memorized. So they get in there, they give it, and they get out. Is this what you found? Then they are really not successful speakers. They are, I would say, they are terrible speakers. They're like a tape recorder. You press the button and hit play. You have to pay attention to every audience because every audience is different and uh, the way they receive is different. For example, you may give the same speech, but at one point in one audience, they may laugh at something you said. But at another audience, they may not laugh. So you have to uh, improvise on the spot. If they don't laugh, what do you do? So it's not that you just go there and give the same speech over and over again. Then I doubt whether you'll give it over and over again because you will not be invited back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. You have to pay attention to every audience. I would agree definitely with that. I have spoken in front of 20,000. I have spoken in front of 20. It makes no difference to me. I always try to do my best, and there is something in the speech business, I guess you can call it, and I'm sure you must be working with your students on it, and that is what we call here in America eye contact, E-Y-E contact. And it's that eye contact with your audience that tells you it makes the speech more personal. It tells you how the speech is being received. Will you go along with that? Yes. Yeah. And also you you want to make the audience feel Oh, the speaker is just talking to me. Right. There could be thousands out there in the audience, thousands of them. And the the audience member will say, oh, they're talking to me. And now how do you do that? You do that with eye contact. Would you agree? Yes. Eye contact is one. And then uh, the other thing is you have to relate to every audience. That's, again, we need to pay attention to the, every audience, the differences in every audience. You cannot just go there and give the same speech. You have to find a way to relate to, oh, how do I relate to this audience? How do I relate to this group of audience? And when you're able to do that, then they are going to feel that, oh, she or he is talking to me. Well, that's very, a leader of a country for example, not just the president here in the United States, a leader of any country where they're required to speak to the citizens. You'll notice that when they go from one city to another city to another city and they're on these tours, each city they attend, they'll have, have you noticed, they'll put in a sentence or two or three about what is going Mm -hmm. on in that particular city. Yes. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You're trying to get Mm -hmm. the audience on a personal level, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And to the parties who have actually very little public speaking experience in their lives, is it difficult for you to get them to look at their audience eye to eye? You know, they'll look up above their heads. They'll look down on the floor. They'll look far to the left where there are no people seated over there. They'll look far to the right where there's no people seated over there. They'll do anything. 
but when they look the audience in the eye, it throws them off without the experience. Now, my question is, as an expert, Cynthia, how do you get your students to look the audience in the eye? Make that eye contact. I ask them to find someone who is friendly was smiling and then look them into the eyes and of course that each section of the audiences so if we divide them into three sections on your left in the middle on the right so then uh, for each section you can find at least one audience member who is friendly who is smiling so that's where you can start that is an excellent idea you'll notice that when speech is not even involved when a singer sings for example if it's a male singer and he's singing a ballad a love song he'll sing to a lady up in the front of the audience who's just obviously a fan uh, yes and they're smiling he'll sing the song directly to her and that is exactly what you're talking about, except for instead of singing, yeah. the speaker is going to speak and find a person in the audience that they can relate to and talk to him or her. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Very much. Now, your TEDx group, do you meet with them on a regular basis, or how often are you speaking with TEDx? Uh, so most of the times for most speakers, TEDx speech is a one-off speech. And uh, so, but the TEDx committee, they organize TEDx uh, event every year, once a year, some half a day, some a full day with different speakers. That's how they work. And you've been privileged to be one of those speakers at one or more than yeah. one of those events? Uh, at one so far. All right. Very, very well. And you've been speaking for TEDx for what, a year or more? Uh, two years. I did it in 2019. Is there a cost to become a TEDx student or can anybody show up? Everyone can show up. Everyone can apply to speak at a TEDx event. And then the committee, they will decide whether your idea is worth spreading. So now I remember the tagline for TED uh, and TEDx is ideas worth spreading. Ideas worth spreading. Well, that yeah. should be a good speech TEDx or not, you know, that's a good motto to live by. <laughs> yes. If you're a public speaker, ideas worth spreading is, is a great motto, yes. I think. Cynthia, do we have TEDx in America or is that only in Singapore? Or are they all over the world? Tell me about that. All over the world. Oh, it's all over the world. It started in California. And then I think for Every city, every city, every town, there should be at least one TEDx event in the States. In Singapore, I think there are also quite a few now. So it's worldwide. People can just go to the website, I think is TED.com, T-E-D.com, and they can find uh, different TEDx platforms near where they live and then see when are they opening for proposals to speak at TEDx events. Very, very well. TED.com. TED.com. All right. Have yeah. you ever heard of an organization which is called the Toastmasters? Are you familiar with them? Yes. 
Yes. I've never participated in any of their presentations, but I understand from what I hear that that is another good venue for people who wish to learn public speaking. Have you ever attended any Toastmaster events yes. at all? Yes. So uh, I used to remember back in 2008. And what goes and, uh, on there? What so do they do? It is a nonprofit organization to help people practice their and improve, practice and improve their public speaking skills as well as leadership skills. So um, that's where that every, so most of the class, they meet at least once a month. And once a month, they will have different people doing different prepared speeches. So that's one section, which is they have people doing prepared speeches. Each speech, generally speaking, is about five to seven minutes. They're also having another section in the meeting, which is impromptu section. So uh, they have people go up onto the stage and uh, pull out a topic, speak for about, I think it's two to three minutes, ad hoc, on the spot. So uh, that's uh, how the meetings are organized. And uh, it is a good platform for people to feel comfortable, grow their comfort, grow their confidence in speaking, in speaking in front of groups. To gain uh, the so confidence. That's, uh, what Toastmaster is about. To go from yes. inexperience to experience by gaining the confidence to speak, correct? Yes, yes. Very well. Now, Cynthia, you also mentioned today you work with your clients, your students, on the sound of their voice. That's one of the biggest complaints I think people have. You probably hear it all day long. They say, Cynthia, I don't like how my voice sounds on the tape. I don't like it. I hate to hear myself. Do you hear this complaint all the time? Yes, yes. So the voice part is actually my bread and butter, my main business. What do you do? Yeah. Describe to the listeners how they themselves, if they hate the sound of their voice, what can they do? How could you help them? We improve the quality of the sound. For example, some of my clients, they came to me, they said, I want to sound like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh my. I said, okay. Yeah, I said, you don't have the opportunity to become him for this life, what do you like about his voice? They always say it sounds very authoritative, very credible. At the same time, it's very pleasant to listen to. So I said, aha, that's the quality you can develop, which is uh, I help people develop a voice that's more authoritative, more credible, more trustworthy, at the same time, pleasant to listen to. So that's how I help them. Well, we used to have a president, may he rest in peace, in the United States of America, John F. Kennedy. And he was a remarkable public speaker. Very, very good. But he had that Massachusetts, New England, USA accent to his voice. And no matter how well you might have enjoyed his speeches or thought he did an excellent job, which he did, if you're not from Massachusetts and if you were not raised in the dialect, you'll never sound like that. You have to be you, not someone else. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's right. Some of my clients, they said, oh, I need to speak in certain voice because uh, that's how they perceive as confident or powerful. And I said, but that's not you. It's like you're dating someone and then 
that person is putting on a facade. And after a while, you realize, oh, you're you're not dating the real person. It's the same with the audience. You need to be you so that they're seeing who you are instead of they're seeing a facade. That is so true. Cynthia, have you noticed that the inexperienced, especially the younger student, will start, and as they get up in front of the group for the first time, their voice gets higher because it's fear. Their voice is high, (laughs) and as they get more experienced, their voice comes down. They can speak with the group like you and I are speaking right now, one-to-one, except for it's not one-to-one. It's one speaker up front versus what could be hundreds or thousands. But they don't, they don't do this anymore because they're not as afraid. They've gotten that confidence. Have you worked with your, your students to get rid of those shrill high tones and to sound natural? And how did you do that? Yeah, so uh, that's one of the biggest problems, which is when they're nervous, they will have a high-pitched voice, or some of my clients, their voice will be trembling. And those are the result of the nervousness. To change that, we need to change the placement of the voice, because when the voice is trembling, when they're nervous, the voice projection is mainly coming from the throat. They're not using the whole body to project the voice. So what I do with them is to use the whole body to help them amplify the voice and make that a habit. When it, when it becomes a habit, then even if they are nervous, their voice will not be trembling, will not go high-pitched or fast-paced anymore. That's how I help them. You're doing to their voice what a singing coach would do to a singer. If a singer sings from the throat, they're going to end up with a sore throat. If the singer sings from the diaphragm and breathes in and sings right down there through the diaphragm and the breath of air comes upward and then reaches the throat and the larynx, that area, then they can sing all night and go home at the end of the concert without a sore throat. Yes. Yes. So that's where the uh, similarity is between singing and speaking uh, voice training. And you do both. You sing and you teach voice as well. Yes. Singing now is more for my own pleasure and fun. Yeah. I do have side dream. So I sometimes share with my friends. I said I have a side dream, which is that I hope one day I'll be able to sing jazz in, uh, in clubs. Well, there are some great singers. We had a lady here in America that did that, and her name was Nancy Wilson. And she was a great Mm -hmm. jazz singer, wonderful jazz singer. And she used to be forthright and honest and tell her audiences that she said, I've never had a singing lesson in my life. Mm -hmm. It just came out. She was born. She was not trained. Yes, that's right. So that's why that. People have to understand that sometimes they are gifted with those talents. They are also uh, singer, singers all around the world. They have never gone to any singing schools, but they can just open their mouths and mesmerize us because they are born, they were born with that talent. Unless you try to get up in front of the audience and speak, you're never going to know if you're a gifted speaker or not. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Now, what about the uh, the perplexed speakers that go on and on with the exact same 
wording, these little phrases that become so unprofessional, so annoying, like, you know, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, Cynthia, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, this, or we used yeah. to have a girl, we used to call her Martha, do you know what I'm saying? And the reason why, why we <laughs> called her Martha, do you know what I'm saying? Because she was, oh, Cynthia, I went to the, the store and bought groceries yesterday. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, Cynthia, I'm so nervous yeah. when I get up and give a speech. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, Cynthia, my child was so bad last night. I, uh, it, it, it caused me anxiety to talk to my little child running all over the house. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's why we called her Martha. Do you know what I'm saying? You have to get rid of uh -huh. all of this or it becomes an annoyance. Would you side with me on yeah, that? That's right. I've heard people uh, having a lot of you know or I'm in. Uh, there was once I was listening to a podcast and that speaker in the podcast, almost after every four or five words, the speaker will say, you know. So after a while, you are so distracted you're not focusing on what the speaker is saying anymore because you can <laughs> you can predict okay after the next four words there will be a you know coming so <laughs> yes. you have to get yeah. rid of those oh yeah. There was there was one individual he had a video up on YouTube and it was a video on how to take care of uh, your car and he would start mm -hmm. out he would say, and then after you get this product and blah, 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 then you would go buy this other product and that can help you do this, that, and blah, blah, blah. And every time, every so many seconds, and then once you work on your tires and your wheels and blah, 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 then you can do this. And I read the comments after the, after the video was over and everybody in the comments that wrote and typed in said, well, it was good to hear your video, blah, blah, blah. And thank you for putting the tape up there, blah, blah, blah. And we hope to hear another one of your shows, blah, blah, blah. And boy, did they let him have it for those blah, blah, blahs. Yeah. People don't want that. You have to give them a little variety and another bad one, a real bad one that people have problems with. And you must have it over in Singapore. And, uh, well, Cynthia, I want to talk to you about this. And, uh, and, uh, oh boy, that's annoying, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> do they do that in Singapore? And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, everywhere. So I work with clients from all over the world. You can always see this everywhere in the world. It's just that the word will change. So, for example, some of my clients, they will be saying, actually, the word they use a lot is actually. After maybe three or four words, instead of saying, you know, they say, actually. <laughs> right. It depends on the person. Yes. Depends yeah. on where they're from, and I've heard that said. It's just amazing. It depends upon the individual, but it takes you, well, it took me six months to cure speech anxiety in my students. One semester, I had it cured, and you're saying to your students it's taking 
six months to cure it from being discovered initially to where the student can go out and then give a speech with confidence. You can do that in six months and train the student, you say? Yes, yes. So on both the uh, speech anxiety and the voice, it can take about six months to make the change last. Well, people are going to wonder, Cynthia, that when I (laughs) taught speech at the evening college and they're going to probably think, well, Rick knew Cynthia because she taught at the college too, and nothing can be further (laughs) from the truth. Would you like to tell our audience today how you and I happened to get together? Because it's a very interesting story, because I'll be honest and tell our audience, I did not teach at the same, (laughs) at the same college that that you are associated with or work with at all. I just uh, happened to meet you. Why don't you tell everybody how that happened? Sure. So I'm subscribed to a podcast directory email. So uh, once in a while, they'll be sending out a podcast looking for guests. So I was so busy that when you first, when they first send out the email with your podcast, I didn't look at it. The email, I think, was in March. So until... <laughs> Recently, I was going through the email, and then I thought, oh, okay, I like uh, his uh, podcast. So I reached out to you. That's where uh, we got connected. Very much so. Have I passed your audition for being a good public speaker, Cynthia? (laughs) So the good news is I don't have an audition. And if I did, you'll surely pass. <laughs> if you were the teacher, what would you give me a good mark, a good grade? Yes, I will. So you have the sound of some of my clients would say, the DJ voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't think that has something to do with me being one, do you? Well, <laughs> I, I suspect it. <laughs> right, right. That may have something to do with it. That may have a yes. little something to do with it. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, well, don't worry about that. I'm not Martha. I'm not Martha. Martha was Martha. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not her. But Cynthia, if somebody is having problems with their speech, I'm no longer teaching at the evening college. I'm wrapped up over my head with other projects. I love teaching very well, and I did that for seven years, and I was honored to do it, to give back a lot of what I learned to the students. And by the way, they were all adults. They were all over 18. They had decided to come and tackle their college years inch by inch. And a lot of them were either housewives that wanted to start getting an education after their children started to grow. Some of them were gentlemen who worked and they had a couple free nights a week, so they'd want to go and take a class here or there. But I greatly enjoyed giving back. I did that for seven years. But right now, I've moved on to other things. If somebody wishes to have you help in the speech arena to improve their confidence, to eliminate this speech anxiety mental disorder, how would they do that if they wanted to get a hold of Cynthia Jai? Tell them. Sure. So uh, there are two places they can go. One is I would recommend my YouTube channel. They can just go to YouTube and search Cynthia Voice Coach. 
they'll be able to find my channel. So on my channel, there are over 200 videos, both voice and speaking. So that's one resource. And this, we also have more than 42,000 subscribers. So I'm happy to have more from our listeners to subscribe the channel. The other one is my website. So my website is powerfulexecutivevoice.com. Powerfulexecutivevoice.com where they can find also a lot of resources there to help them improve their voice and speaking. And of course, they are welcome to connect with me on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. They can find me on those social media platforms just by searching my name uh, or just search Cynthia Voice Coach. They should be able to find me. I think that is remarkable. Her name, ladies and gentlemen, is Cynthia with a C-Y-N-T-H-I-A. The last name, even though it's pronounced Jai, is spelled Z as in zebra, H-A-I, Z-H-A-I, Cynthia, Z-H-A-I dot com. That is her website, PowerfulExecutiveVoice.com. Yes, thank you. For the first time ever, ladies and gentlemen, in my career, what a thrill. I've actually had a live guest on the podcast tonight, all the way from Singapore. And boy, what an experience it has been. I don't want to hold you over time, Cynthia, but it has been a pleasure. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. And at this time, I'm just going to have you say, good night, Cynthia. Good night, Cynthia. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there we go. PowerfulExecutiveVoice.com is the website for our guest, Cynthia Zai. Z-H-A-I, it's pronounced Jai. Cynthia Jai. And that is spelled Cynthia with a C, Z-H-A-I, Z-Zebra, H-A-I. You can look her up on all the social media. You can go to her website. She's on Facebook. She's on LinkedIn. She's all over the place. She is a person who takes somebody like the students that I used to have who would come to me and say, Rick, I do not have the confidence to speak before a group. She works with them. It's mind over matter. You don't have to faint when you get in front of people. You don't have to speak with a high-pitched voice if you work at it. You don't have to be afraid and forget things. Forget your own middle name. Forget the town you were born. Forget all of these things, which is what happens when you have speech anxiety. People like Cynthia are here to help you. The organizations with which she works are here to help you. And so is Cynthia. Thank you, everybody. It's Rick Flynn. It's been fun, but I've got to run. Thank you all so very much. And on behalf of myself, and our guest today from Singapore Live, Cynthia Jai. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.